0: Hi, well, welcome once again to Grace Church. Um, my name is Luke, and uh, it's just a real pleasure to have everybody here with us tonight to celebrate Christmas Eve. Um, I, I title our message tonight, uh, The Christmas Story. And so I wanted to start with this question for you by asking, um, what does the Christmas story mean to you? Okay, so when you hear the phrase, The Christmas Story, Association Time, what's the first thing that comes into your mind? Okay, just to be honest, mine is Ralphie on a quest for the official Red Ryder carbine action 200 shot range model air rifle, but being told by every adult in the room that if he actually gets his heart's desire, he's going to shoot his eye out, right? Or second place is probably something that Clark Griswold said that I probably couldn't repeat in a sermon. That's just me. Um, What about you? The Christmas story. What's that mean to you? How about our, our, the wider culture that we live in? How, how does the culture, how do TV shows and advertisements help answer this question for us? I, I mean, besides helping us know all the new things that we need to buy each year, which is very helpful, thank you, um, I do think the culture's onto something when they tell us that this story is about love, right? This is a season where we get to gather together with our families where we get to sort of step back and think about the wider community, where we get to give gifts and be generous. All that's good and true as far as it goes, except increasingly, I think what I've noticed, maybe you have too, the story we hear about Christmas most often from the world um, often leaves out the one that it's actually named after, right? I mean, Christmas is a celebration of Jesus Christ's birthday. And maybe that's what the Christmas story means for you a day or a week, even a month of Advent to consider the miraculous arrival of God in this world. God puts on humanity and comes to dwell with us, to be near us. But even if we get the Christmas story right enough to put a whole lot of baby Jesus in it, right? and I hope we do, I hope you do, Um, I still think we can miss just how big this story is. And that's what I want us to consider for a few minutes this evening together, that the Christmas story is actually God's plan for the whole world, all right? This is an epic drama. This, this includes every person, every civilization, every nation, every era of history. This is the big story that can actually make sense and give direction to our life story as well. And so the real kicker here, though, is that you actually have a role to play in the Christmas story. See, this isn't a story that ended 2,000 years ago um, when what we've been reading about happened. This is a story that has already been written, but it's not yet finished. And you're being asked to enter in to the Christmas story. So I want to look at this epic story in five acts. That's what all the epic stories have, right? Five acts. And so, kids, that's a lot of things for me to keep in my mind as I'm up here. I mean, five parts of a story, that's a lot. So can you guys help me keep track of what number I'm on as we go, okay? I'll refer back to you regularly. So act one, the beginning of the Christmas story. The Christmas story begins with love. We're told in the Bible that the Trinitarian God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, have existed in mutually satisfying, glorifying, other-centered love from eternity. That is reality. It's what C.S. Lewis calls the eternal dance. And in Genesis 1, the beginning of the story, we read God decided to extend that love and make his family bigger, a whole world, in fact. And so out of an overflow of delight, we read that you and I were created in God's image. This means many things, but I think most fundamentally it means that we are created for the relationship. We are created for the love that God himself has. He is a family, and you were meant to belong to that family, to connect with God, to connect with one another in mutually encouraging, self-giving, loving Ways Love, we could say, is the very fabric that the world is made of. It's what your soul is designed for. But then comes Act 2. And we know in Act 2, in every drama, is the conflict, right? And tonight we actually read from Genesis 3. And I want to spend just a minute here looking at Genesis 3 and and the the Act 2 of this great story, the Christmas story. Because when we jumped into it, we did just moments after Adam and Eve our mother and father, our our human representatives before God, had exchanged this other-centered love they were built to enjoy. They traded it in for a life looking for love almost anywhere else. Um, And of course, if we were built for love, but we run away from the most important relationship that sustains it, the consequences of that are devastating. They're far-reaching, and they're deep. This is exactly what we see in Genesis 3. After this turn, after the worst trade of all time, okay, after the rebellion, we see a broken connection with God. In verse 8, the man and his wife, they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. Instead of walking with him in the cool of the garden, they now hide from him in shame. But it's not just the vertical relationship, it's these horizontal relationships with one another. Look Look at verse 11. God asks his people, Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Now, just so we know the, the background here, when Adam first laid eyes on this woman, his, his bride, you know what he did? He sang a, spontane- a spontaneous love poem, okay? He, he said, um, you know, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. This is an intimate, beautiful, um, relationally thrilling poem. Um, uh, marriage that they're intended to have. And they did. But then this rebellion enters, something enters into the relationship. And you know what it is? Blame and conflict. Did you see what Adam did right there? I mean, that was some pretty efficient blame shifting. God- question, and he quickly says, oh, yeah, yeah, the woman you gave me, yeah, she, you know, she gave me that fruit to eat. So he not only blames his new wife, but he also manages to blame God all in about one sentence. Good job, Adam. And it's here that human conflict gets its start. But it's not only that. We also see a brokenness with the world we live in. Verse 17 tells us, cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you're going to eat of it all the days of your life. What God designed to be fruitful work, vocations of joy, becomes work of frustration and diminishing returns. We simply don't get out what we put in anymore. This is the new normal. And finally, we actually see a broken relationship within ourselves. Verse 9, the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid." Because I was naked and I hid myself. Now, in the garden before sin, Adam and Eve felt total safety and security and acceptance with God and one another. It, in verse 25, 125, we read, The man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. But now, their nakedness is their shame. And this word shame is the word that we use to describe a broken relationship with ourself. We're not right on the inside. Um, Brené Brown is a sociologist who spent her professional career studying human interaction and she, she has an excellent TED talk that I'd recommend, it's on vulnerability and in it she shares her conclusions about the central longing of humanity and she says it's for connection now now if we've been following this drama that, that the script of the story that God's writing of course we're not surprised by that we were made for connection but her next insight, I think, is really important. She says the main obstacle to connecting is actually our own shame. See, the problem within, in our relationships with one another, it's not, it's not just in the person that we're trying to love or be loved by. We have a problem with ourself. We don't think we're fit to be fully known and fully loved. We're afraid that if someone really knows us, then surely they can't truly love us. So here's my question. Does, um, d- does this story feel true so far? Okay, God is telling a story to make sense of the world. Uh, does the big story of Christmas, of Christmas does, it, does it ring true? Or do you ever hide from God? Um, do, do your relationships with other people, um, are they easy or are they kind of hard a lot? Um, do you ever have a vision or a plan at work, maybe in the home or at the office, and, but you just don't have the power to see it happen? It's like the whole system is set up to stymie you. Is any of this, am I the only one? Or does any of this make sense to anybody else? Do you know the feeling of shame? That, that feeling that it's more than just saying I made a mistake, but gosh, I, I am a mistake, right? This is the world we're born into, because of the conflict in act two of the story. Broken relationships, inward, outward, upward, downward. We feel it, and we know it's true, but thank God that's not the end of the story, is it? All right, kids, so we've done, uh, let's see, we've done creation, and now we've done a conflict. What are we on? Three, three. thank you, James, front row. Um, and in act three, as we learn, this is always the turn, isn't it? This is always the key plot twist of the story in the midst of the darkest moments in humanity in the darkest moment of the story right when everything's cracking and breaking and relationships are falling apart god took maybe 30 seconds okay to begin making incredible promises and extending grace to his people that's the kind of god that we worship that's the kind of god that wrote the christmas story a god of promises and a god of grace, He did not hesitate for a second. In Genesis 3.15, right in the midst of this, we read about the first announcement of Christmas. Did you guys know that? The first announcement of Christmas goes all the way back to Genesis 3. He's actually speaking to Satan in this verse. He writes, or he says, God says, "...I will put enmity, I'll put hatred between you, Satan, and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring, which is a reference to the coming Christ." He shall bruise your head, you shall bruise his heel. This is the first announcement of the gospel of grace. If the main problem with our world is that humanity has claimed the rights and the privileges of God and we broke relationships because of that, our only hope and cure is that God Himself will give up His rights and His privileges, leave heaven, become a human move into the neighborhood, and rescue us back into the family that we are designed to live in. That's the key plot twist of the story of Christmas. And when Jesus came into this world, Satan did bruise him. In fact, he bruised him badly. So badly that it ended in his death on the cross as he sat under the weight of the world's sin and rebellion. But when he was raised from the dead... He um, delivered such a strike and devastating blow to the sin and the evil and the death in this world that everything broken in Act 2 is beginning to be redeemed in Act 3. So we see this all over the Bible. We see our guilt before God turned into peace with God because of what Christ did for us. We see the division and the conflict between one another turned into unity with one another. Listen to Ephesians 2. Jesus himself is our peace who has made us both one and broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. The Christmas story turns hostility into unity. And, and He even, even the frustrations of this world will be reversed and creation itself will sing and work exactly how it was designed to work. And shame does not get the last word in the story of Christmas, nor does it get the last word in your story. The decisive plot turn in the story that God is writing for the world was Christmas morning when he entered our world to redeem and restore everything that was, that was lost, excuse me. And then, Act 5, the conclusion, the Bible tells us that, um, that one, the one who spoke all things into existence at the beginning is the same one who came to dwell among us in the middle and one day he will restore everything to how it was supposed to be in the end. He will come back. Act five is the conclusion of God's great story that he's coming again. He's removed the power of sin in his first arrival, and he'll remove the presence of sin in his final arrival. Creation, conflict, Christmas, conclusion. Wait a second. Help me out, guys. What did gosh. Oh, my gosh. We lost Act 4. What are we going to do? Let's do this. Let's close with this. Imagine this. Imagine that there is a lost Shakespeare's play, Shakespeare play Okay, um, that's discovered in a private library somewhere in an obscure city in Europe. I don't know where. And it's made public for the very first time. All right? Now, immediately actors and actresses who, who, and theater groups who um, love Shakespeare pick this piece up and start production on the new play. I mean, this is a great cultural discovery, okay? This is huge. But here's the catch. Like Shakespeare's plays, it has five acts, but this particular lost play, it's missing act four, Okay. So, the theater groups, they have access to to the beginning. They know how the author wanted to start the story, to the rising conflict. They even know what the decisive plot turn is, and they know how it ends, but they find themselves without a script here in the middle in plot four. So what do they do? Uh, What would you do? Would you say, well, we don't have the whole script for every single word for our story. We don't know what to do step by step exactly. So... No, let's just scrap the whole thing. Probably not worth our time. Of course not. This is the greatest cultural discovery in 500 years, right? What do these guys do? Here's what they do. These actors and these actresses who are already steeped in the world of Shakespeare, who, who know his writing and his thinking and his worldview and the way that he, um, his, he uses language in his life, they would bury themselves in this story. I mean, they would devour it. They would read it again and again. They would literally memorize it word for word. And they would get so inside of this story that even though they don't have every step to the script through the whole thing, they could finish the play, couldn't they? They could step into act four and they could improvise and allow their actions and their words to be shaped by the trajectory of the author's story. Their behavior is not scripted, It's not random either. It's not directionless. They're not lost. It would be of the very same spirit that the author intended. Now, of course, this is us, isn't it? We find ourselves born into a world without a line-by-line script for how our story goes so much of the time. the Bible doesn't tell us in chapter this, verse this, where to go to college, who to marry, what job to have, where to retire, how to use our money. It doesn't give us all of those answers. There's, we're, we're, so, we have so many choices as we're living out our own story, but the big story of Christmas is that this does not mean we're lost, not even close, okay? We have more than enough to creatively, faithfully, and hopefully obey and follow our King and our Savior through this world. We know what we're made for. We know what went wrong. We know Jesus has already made it right. We know how the story ends. We have his airtight certain promises to guide our life of faith. And we have one another to help us along the way in the messy middle, don't we? So here's the question. How will you improvise during this act of God's story. I mean, how will the knowledge of God's script in the past and and the conclusion he's writing for the future shape the way you live your life now? What practical acts of love can you do to join in God's great restoration project for this world, his great healing of everything that was broken in the conflict with sin? These are Christmas questions, These are the questions that arise in our heart as we look back on his first arrival and forward to his next arrival. I do hope you have a wonderful Christmas with your family and your friends. I see so many in this room tonight. But more than that, I actually hope that God meets you in this season in ways that you haven't experienced him before, that you enter into his story with great power and great joy and that he enters into yours. Jesus, we thank you for coming to our world to be born, to live, to die, to be raised again so that you can set all things right that have been broken. Help our hearts trust in you. Help us look forward with great joy and in anticipation for your arrival. And as we celebrate Christmas tomorrow with our families, we ask that you would... Help us know and believe the big Christmas story, Jesus, that you have written and you have given to us as a gift, your son, Jesus Christ. We ask these things in your name. Amen.